0: What have you been doing during the stay-at-home order, you know, to uh, stay entertained? Well, for your sake, I hope you're not trying to watch daytime television. There's not much there. I I checked it out. But I did find uh, one program that helps me keep up with what's going on. I've been watching every day on the television Governor Pritzker's news conference. And I remember back in the first week when I was watching maybe the second or third news conference, I uh, asked myself the question, I wonder what would happen if God gave a news conference. Particularly at a time like this, at a crisis time like this. What would God have to say? What does God think we need to hear? And then I thought about a devotional I'd given earlier that day at my other job at Fairhaven. It was from the 91st Psalm, and as I thought about the words of that Psalm, I realized that's what God would say if there was a heavenly news conference. So you get to all participate today, whether you're online or you're part of the band, here live or back on the soundboard. The 91st Psalm, let me share the words with you. Whoever dwells "...in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence." Anybody know what a pestilence is? That's a virus. (laughs) "...He will cover you with His feathers." And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence, anybody know what a pestilence is? That's a widespread virus, that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague, He's getting really close, isn't he? that destroys at midday, for a thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, then no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent where you live. For he will give his angels command concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpents. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The heavenly news conference. Do you have follow-up questions? Do you have thoughts that are occurring in your mind? How do the words of the 91st Psalm set a context for how you're feeling, how you're thinking, what you're planning? This Sunday and
1: next, we're going to pick apart the words of the 91st Psalm and
0: ask the question, What's God trying to say to us? Are we hearing it? It begins with verse 1, the principle. The big idea. The one thought that God says, if nothing else you remember, remember this principle. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Well, that's Bible talk, and so you might not have grasped the meaning. Let me put it into everyday language. God always takes responsibility for those who belong to him, for those who live in his presence, and he can be trusted. God always takes responsibility for those who live at his house. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? You belong to God. God cares about where your life's headed, what you're doing what's going on, what you're experiencing, and how you're feeling about it. That is a truth that was true in David's day, which was nearly a couple thousand years ago, or nearly 3,000 years ago, rather. And it's true today. God hasn't changed. This is something new for us. It's not something new for God. Notice the Bible words that are used. First, those who dwell To dwell, from the original language, from the Hebrew here, means to reside comfortably. To make yourself at home. It is the difference between when you're a guest at somebody's house and you're at your own house. Or you're at work and you're at your own house. Or you're at a hotel and you're at your own house. There's a different feeling. You know how it is. You're on the road. You're probably sleeping on a more expensive bed than the one you sleep on at home. But when you get home, you can't wait to get into your bed because you're used to it. It's yours. You're at home there. That's the word dwell. It means you need to learn to become comfortable in the presence of God. Now, all of us have a tendency to go in and out of the living, moving presence of God. We, of course, because God is omnipresent, are always in his presence, but we don't always sense him. We don't always think about him. We don't always look at what's going on in our life through the lens of this reality that God is right there with you. And when we do, it often changes everything from the inside out. When we learn to dwell in God's presence, which means... Everywhere I go, everything I'm doing, I do it within the context of God's living presence. We've lost the opportunity to come together and gather as church members. But this is not the only time or place we enter into God's presence, is it? No. I can enter into God's presence utterly and absolutely by myself. Without any extra stimuli. I kind of like those things that remind me of coming into God's presence. I love a song that sort of ushers me into God's presence. I love when I read God's word and it reminds me that I'm in God's presence. But the truth is, I don't need any of those things. God is present. He is there. And he offers for me to dwell in his presence. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. A shelter is a place of security, of stability. He's saying, stop asking me to make your world more stable. That's what we do, isn't it? Oh, God, take this virus away. Oh, God, help us get back to work. Oh, God, and and it's all right to pray those things. But he says, instead... Enter into the safety of my presence. Where it doesn't matter whether you work or don't work. Do you know that if you belong to God, and you live in his presence? He plans to take care of you whether you work or not. I'm thankful that he uses work to bless me. But the truth is that if I'm unemployed, I'm still God's responsibility. I'm still within his care. I may not be dwelling at the office right now, but I'm dwelling right in the palm of his hand. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Rest. That's easy to lose, isn't it? The sense of peace that comes from knowing God is present the minute we forget God is present or think we've gone someplace that's outside of God's presence, as silly as that may sound, we immediately forfeit what our rest—it's gone. What's the other word for that? It starts with P. Peace, right? Peace is present as long as I'm aware that I'm in God's presence. Peace flees away the moment I lose sight of the fact that I'm in God's presence. Now, God is present whether I acknowledge it or not. But it does me very little good. You know that God is present with atheists today. That presence is doing them very little good. Unless they can take their faith and place it in the one who's present. To rest literally means here to let go of control. I always love it when somebody in counseling says, You know, my husband's a control freak. Nobody ever usually claims it for themselves. And then I usually have the, the blessed privilege of helping them understand that they are too. We human beings have a tendency to all be controlling. Now we all try to control in different kinds of ways. We have our own techniques that work best for us. But the truth is we're all control freaks. That's the option. There's faith or there's control freak. <laughs> there's you trying to run the show or you relinquishing control to someone far greater than you. And those are the only two choices. Those who dwell in the presence of the Almighty can rest. They rest, says he, in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I know he's speaking metaphorically here because the Bible's pretty clear on that. God isn't limited to a body like we are. Otherwise, Uh, He'd have to pick a church to be at today. And he'd be at this one or he'd be at a a different one. And you'd want to find the one where God was present. But I want you to know he's present here. And he's present with you at home. Whoever you are. Whatever you're doing. Whatever you're uh, participating in. Besides watching and listening to us. But God is real. It, It sometimes is hard for us to realize... That because we can't physically see him, is he real? But we can see him. What we see is, well, his shadow, right? Uh, Right now, I'm casting a shadow on the ground. And if you couldn't see me and you saw my shadow, you'd know I was here, right? Even though you couldn't see me. We can't see God, but we can see his shadow. Have you seen the evidence of God at work this week? fingerprints of God on any events in your life you know he's there that's his shadow another word for it used in the Bible is the word glory The glory of God is the manifest evidence that God is here he is real and he is powerful and he is beautiful and he is
1: majestic not because I see him but because I see his shadow well says David
0: God invites us to live in his shadow. Now, let's say that you decided to live in my shadow. Okay? If I went home and you went home, would you be able to live in my shadow? Now, my shadow goes with me wherever I go. (laughs) Same thing is true of you. Okay? If you're not living in the shadow of God within the context of his glory, Which means that's everything that's important to you. That's everything that you know is fulfilling to you when God is glorified. Then there is peace. Then there is rest. John has written a little book called If You Want to Walk on Water, Well, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. And in that book he has a chapter called How Big is your God. And the illustration, I think, kind of points out a deficiency in our lives. Orberg writes, one day when I was walking with a few friends in New Beach, Newport Beach, California, we went past a bar where a fight was going on that had spilled out into the street like an old western. Three men were beating up on a lone opponent and he was bleeding profusely. Well, we had to do something. So we went over to break up the fight, to warn the aggressor in no uncertain terms that the fight was over. Unfortunately, I've not had much experience with that sort of thing. I guess I missed the day in seminary class about breaking up barroom brawls. <laughs> We'd spent a little too much time in church to have effective language for that kind of intervention right at in our fingertips. tips. Breaking up drunken brawls is not, frankly, a strong area of spiritual passion or competence for me, but somebody had to do something. So we got out of the boat. We spoke prophetically to them. And then I waited for my first fistfight since I was part of a church deacon board. However, the thugs suddenly looked up with fear in their eyes and started to slink away. It caught me so much by surprise that I almost stopped to ask them why they were leaving. Then I looked behind them, behind me. There I saw one of the biggest guys I had ever seen. We had apparently, he was apparently employed as a bouncer at the bar room that the men had been visiting. And suddenly I gained a great deal of respect from that very profession. I would guess the man stood about six foot seven. Weighed about 250 pounds or so, with perhaps 2% body fat. If Hercules and Xena, the warrior princess, had hooked up, this would have been their love child. <laughs> we called him Mongo. Not to his face, though. Mongo did not say a word. He just stood there, muscles bulging. He looked as if he hoped they would try to take him on. This was, in fact, an area of massive breathtaking competence for him. Breaking up fights was his spiritual gift. And in that moment, my attitude was transformed. You better not let us catch you hanging around here again. We were different people because we had a great big mongo behind us. I was ready to confront with resolve and firmness. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was released from anxiety and fear, I was ready to serve someone who needed my help. Why? Because Mongo had passed by. I had experienced a Mongophony. I was convinced that I was not alone. The middle of a barroom brawl was a perfectly safe place for me to be. Now, if I were convinced that Mongo were with me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, I would have, frankly, a fundamentally different approach to life. Of course, he's not. I cannot go around with Mongo beside me all the time, and it's probably a good thing because I don't need him. I have one who is greater than Mongo who is with me at all times. Courage, he says. I am. Fear not. I believe that. It's part of my creed. I've committed my life to teaching others about that. Yet all too often, my life does not reflect it. All too often, I shrink back when I should confront. I worry when I could pray. I cling when I could give generously. I stay in the boat when I could get out and walk in the water. God always takes responsibility For those who belong to him. Who live in his presence. That's the idea. That's the principle. We'll be talking about it more this week and more next week. But you need to know before we leave today. That there is a process that goes with the principle. And there is a role for you to play in all of this. The Targumum which was a uh, Hebrew translation and commentary on the Old Testament that existed during the time of Jesus used to take this 91st Psalm and break it up into a dialogue. The first verse, the principle, was David, the elderly king, speaking to his son Solomon who would take his throne. And he would say, if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, of the Almighty, and then... Solomon would respond, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. The only condition for this principle is that we must vow sincerely to put our whole trust in him. What separates us is not whether God loves some people and not other people. Whether God is strong and powerful for some people and not for others. But whether we will respond with faith to who God is. And it all starts with what you say. I will say. Now, words by themselves aren't worth a lot. But the truth is, everything you really believe in comes out of your mouth sometime during the week. You ever listen to yourself talk? Sometimes it's pretty amazing. You say some pretty ridiculous things. You say some things, frankly, that are contradictory to the very things that you go, yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. Then why are you saying this? In fact, that's largely the job of pastors when we preach on Sunday is to remind you what you're supposed to believe. (laughs) Remind you what you say you believe. Because all week long you've been saying and doing things that seem to contradict that. Well, if you're worried right now because of what's going on in the news, you're probably watching too much news and not reading enough Bible. There's comfort to be found here. I will say of the Lord is the response. It's a vow. It's a sacred promise. God gives us promises. And how often does God keep his promises? Always. What's the proper response to a God who gives promises? Give promises back. How do we do? Not so good. We get distracted. We forget. Oh yeah, I meant to do that. God doesn't change he invites us, in the moment that I will say, you know, this problem is scary. But God, you are bigger and you are with me all the time. I will trust in you. That's a magic moment. Nothing has changed with God. He doesn't change. Something changed with you. You laid hold of, came into contact, promise of God. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Refuge is a place of protection and certain security. The only safe place to hide during a time of virus, during a time of uh, economic downturn, during a time of having to spend too much time with people you're having a hard time getting along with, the only safe place is in the living presence of God. There you'll be safe. There you'll be protected. A refuge, a fortress. A fortress. Fortress is a castle. People who had the means to build a castle would build a castle with moat around it and hide in those places from threatening enemies. Says... Solomon, God is my fortress. Reminds me of a story from a famous hymn. Martin Luther um, was uh, bold to translate the scriptures into the language of the German people. But frankly, the church was in opposition to him. And to oppose the church in those days, in these days, the church can't do much to you. So worry about it, but in that day the church had great political power and they didn't like that Martin wanted to translate the living scriptures into the language of people because the people might come to different conclusions than the Pope and the priests would come to and so they were trying to keep it from them and they actually put him on trial and threatened his life but a friend took Martin and hid him up in his castle high where he could do his translation, work. are putting that next thing for a friend to do. But while Luther was translating, he started translating the Psalms, and he ran into this Psalm and one other as well. And he said, "Wait a minute! This castle was my fortress. That's not my fortress." He would leave the castle, go back down to the streets where he would be very vulnerable and complete his work. Because he believed that there was an inconsistency in hiding in a physical castle while God promised to be his fortress. But before he went down from the castle, he wrote a hymn. It's the only hymn of his, and he wrote lots of them, that we still have today. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never fails heard it? He said, God is my fortress, my hiding place, my strong tower. Is he yours? He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Trust. Trust is the action part of faith, isn't I can say I believe, but when I act as if I really do believe, that is genuine trust. It's easy to say you trust God when life is going well. When things begin to fall apart or surprises come your way, I'm speaking from personal experience, but I hope you can relate. I see how shallow my trust is. Do I trust God? Well, do you trust God when you can't go to work? Do you trust God when you can't be with the people that you love? Do you trust God when your health is threatened? That's the true test of trust, isn't it? In his book, Traveling Light, Max Lucado talks about this very topic of Our fears and the faith that can save us. The Bible I carried as a child, he writes, has a picture of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying on the night of his arrest. In this picture, his face is soft. His hands are calmly folded as he kneels on a rock to pray. Jesus seemed so peaceful. But one reading of the gospel disrupts that image. In Mark's gospel, Mark says, Jesus fell to the ground. In Matthew's gospel, he tells us that Jesus was sad and troubled to the point of death. In Luke's gospel, he says, Jesus was full of pain and despair. Equipped with those passages, how would you repaint the scene? Jesus flat on the ground, face in the dirt, extended hands gripping the grass, body rising and falling with sighs, face as twisted as the olive trees around him. What do we do with this image of the God-man? Simple. We turn to it when we're in the same condition. We read it when we feel the same. We read it when we feel afraid. Isn't it likely that fear is one of the emotions that Jesus felt. One might even argue that fear was his primary emotion on that night. For he saw something in the future so fierce, so foreboding, that he begged for a change of plan. Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me. What causes you to pray like that? Boarding an airplane? Facing a crowd? Public speaking? Taking a job? Taking a spouse? Driving on a highway? The source of your fear may seem small to others, But to you, it freezes your feet, makes your heart pound, and brings blood to your face. And that's what happened to Jesus. He was so afraid, the text says, that he bled. Doctors describe this condition as hematthrosis. Severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. When this occurs, sweat becomes tinged with blood. Jesus was more than anxious. He was afraid. Fear is worry's big brother. If worry is a burlap bag, then fear is a trunk full of concrete, and it wouldn't budge. But how remarkable that Jesus would feel such fear. How kind, though, that he chose to tell us about it. We usually do the opposite, don't we? Gloss over our fears cover them up, keep our sweaty palms in our pockets, our nausea and dry mouths a secret, but not so with Jesus. We see no mask of strength, but we do hear a request for strength. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. The first one to hear of his fear was his father. He could have gone to his mother he could have confided in his disciples. He could have assembled a prayer meeting. All would have been appropriate, but none was his priority. He went first to his father. Oh, how we tend to go everywhere else—first to the bar, then to the counsel, to the self-help book, or the friend next door. But not to God. The first one to hear Jesus fear. Was his father. In heaven. The only condition. To this invitation. In which God invites us to live in his presence. And find peace. To find rest. Is that we must bow sincerely. To put our whole trust. So I asked you, in whom will you put your faith when life becomes unmanageable? Because it will, if it hasn't. Life works that way. You build up a, a little bit of a saving account, and then whop, something takes it just like that. Seems so secure when I had that. You get this fixed or that fixed or you take care of that problem and you feel so secure that three more problems arise over here. Where will you turn when the arrows of misfortune begin to fly? Because they will. That's what happens in this world. Where will you go? Where will you hide? From whence will you derive the security you see? Rudolf Niebuhr was a pastor who constructed a marvelous prayer. I hope to someday leave behind something that's one one one-thousandth as powerful as what he left behind in this prayer. The sad thing is, we've diluted it down and put it on little plaques and hung it in our house. And not thought of the power of it. We call it the prayer of serenity. If you're here today, I invite you to pray along with me. The words will be on the screen. If you're at home, you would be greatly helped by praying it.
1: This week, you'd be greatly helped by praying it daily, in fact,
0: as we go through this series. Join me, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is. Not as I would have. it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I might be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Praying of that prayer and a reading of the 91st Psalm every day this week will get you ready for next week's lesson. To sum up, as it relates to fear, as our very human response when faith is required, here's our friends, uh, Tom and Eddie, the skid boys, to tell us five
1: ways to conquer your fear. Tom and Eddie, the skid guys, here to help you to conquer your fear with five tips. That's right. Number five, acknowledge your fear. Write it down. Get it out there. Do that, Tommy. Do that. That's a great idea, okay? Here's the thing. When you write down your fears, Helps just squelch the fear. Tommy is going to show you right now that we all have this in common. We all have fears. This is Tommy's number one fear. This is my number one fear. I've seen it happen to people, and it's tragic. And imagine what it would again. Like, really? So much skin. Number four. Realize that most of your fears don't even come true. Yours did. <laughs> this is a fear. It looks like it should have been. When it comes to those fears, they don't really ever come true. Like, some people have a fear of garden gnomes coming alive in the middle of the night and destroying you. What? Yes, a bunch of people fear that. Oh, it's a legitimate fear. Those little statues in people's yards. Those evil statues in people's yards. Oh, this is your fear. You're afraid of... Don't you're afraid of me. Of I'm, not, yes, no, I'm not. Oh, no, I'm you. not. I'm not. Okay, 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 moving on. Number three, do the thing you fear. Yes, yes. Like, stay the night in the yard filled with gardening. No, <laughs> no it really is a good idea to do what you fear. In fact, Winston Churchill said, do the thing you fear, and the death of fear is certain." No, Winston Churchill didn't say that, but Emerson said that. But Ralph Waldo Emerson said... Do the thing you fear, and the death of fear is certain. How do you know that? Well, in <coughs> college class, I did. You just say, "How do I know that?" What? Okay, you know what I'm curious about? I'm curious what it would look like if I shaved your head. It's not funny. I'm not laughing. <laughs> Number two, be curious. Yeah, because when you're curious, you're not focusing on your fear. You're squelching your fear. You're, you're opening the door for God's wonder. Curiosity does that. Yeah. And you'll also find that curiosity did not kill the cat. It was that creepy kid across the street. <laughs> There's someone to be afraid of. You don't even be afraid of him. Because the number one way to conquer your fear is to trust in God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For the spirit of the Lord is not fear, but of power, and love, and of sound mind. Yeah. In fact, I got you a little keepsake to help you remember that. Thanks, buddy. That's what I like about this guy. He's always thinking about everything. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, friends. Go out there. Conquer your fear. Make that bucket list of things that you want to do and know that God is on your side because there is nothing that you have to be afraid of.